good to spend time teaching the church on what the Bible teaches about the church. And uh, this is one of just the doctrines that I just love. I've loved meditating on Scripture. I've loved reading and studying for years and years upon um, the glory of Jesus' church and her great weakness all at the same time and all that Scripture says about her, her. And I'm still learning some things and thinking through some things, and we will be thinking through some things together, and even as you'll hear in the message today. But um, turn with me, if you would, as a starting point. And you're going to flip a few pages this morning. It's just I don't know how to give this message from one text. So there you go. I don't know if the text exists, and therefore we're going to flip a few pages. So the real question this morning is, what is the nature of the Christian church? What is the nature of the Christian church in Scripture? And, and really, the, the, the question this morning is, how is the word church used in a few different senses, in a few different ways, and how should we understand that? And at first, it could very much seem like it's an insignificant, uh, uh, sort of an insignificant reality. You know, how much does this really matter? And I've been, you know, I've been working through this book. And if you're intimidated by looking at it, trust me, I've been intimidated by it for a long time. You know, any book this big, I am fairly intimidated by Unfortunately, I didn't read enough books growing up and played too many sports, and so big books are intimidating to me. But I want you to hear this, um, this introduction where um, Bannerman is going to discuss the things that we're going to be teaching, that I'm going to be teaching you this morning. But, and let me just say, a lot of what this is, a lot of what I'm teaching this morning, and some of these things we're teaching they would be better fit for a Sunday school environment or some other environment where we could put this together, but we just don't have that option. We don't have that option. It doesn't exist for us in the why and in the way um, space is used and, and et cetera. So, um, so this is just, it just is what it is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, I, and so thank you for being okay with that. Just thank you for being okay with that. You're going to be taught the Bible, okay? All right. You're okay with that. Many, perhaps indeed most, of the controversies which have arisen in connection with ecclesiastical theology, which is just the doctrine of the church, church theology, understanding the nature of the church and all that is the church of Jesus Christ, They're all to be traced, all the controversies, all the disagreements are to be traced back to fundamental, basic differences of opinion regarding the essential nature and character of that society which Christ has instituted, of the church. The different or opposite notions, so disagreements, the different understandings of how church is, what it is and how it is, or completely opposite notions that people have come to conclude 
in regard to the origin and essential principles of the Christian church have necessarily led to conclusions widely different. What we think about what the church is have led to conclusions widely different in regard to its functions, its authority, its ordinances, and its government. In other words, you know, you don't build a house without laying some blocks or pouring some concrete first. You know, and if you don't put blocks down or pour some concrete or some basement walls or something, you don't build a house right. You don't build a house right. And if you um, just build the house with untreated two-by-fours at its foundation... It's just going to be a very different house for a shorter period of time. You know, there's just the foundation is critical to what is built on it. That's the point here about the church. So its authority, its ordinances, and its government, what is built is in wide disagreement, all comes back to this the nature of the church in Scripture. It's highly important, therefore, to lay down at the outset those scriptural principles as to the nature and character of the church of Christ. So, that's what today is. And I want to just start with this. Um, the main three, the main three that, uh, and I'll just be honest with you, the main three that I am most comfortable with and understand most clearly at this stage are this, the, the church invisible, the church visible, and the church local, okay? The church invisible, the church visible, and the church local. There are two more that we'll get to just briefly probably today, and then I will unpack a little bit more next week, and, uh, or if we're out of time, I may just say we'll get to them next week, or if by the time I get to that point in the message, I think you know. It's probably not the wisest move to just throw this in right at the end. We should talk about this in length next week. So, Father, help us. Help us to think about your truth and help us to be um, godly in your church. Help us to be just in some sense, just in love with your church, your bride, as you are in love with her, Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray, to see clearly and to think clearly about your words and what you teach us and how good they are in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first, the first way that Scripture uses the word church is what we refer to as the church invisible. The church invisible. Okay? I understand that might be new to you to hear that word for many of you, but... Um, it's not a new word in any way, shape, or form. This is a long-held understanding that one of the ways Scripture uses the word church is church invisible. For instance, just glance down at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. Or in um, Matthew chapter 16, just to give you another scriptural precedent, 
In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord Jesus says to Peter and to the apostles, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And from just two, those are just two examples. The implication of what the word church is there is this is the people who I preached about in Ephesians 2 a couple weeks ago who are redeemed and born again by the Spirit of God. They are made new creations in Christ by the Holy Spirit transforming them from within And this transformation that happens in the heart as the society of God's people, it's not something you just see. You know? It's not something you just see. This is the, when Scripture refers to the, or Scripture speaks of the word elect, we're speaking of the elect of God who are the church invisible. Not always understood, not understood at this point in visible outward forms. God's elect, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the church, invisible, spread across all peoples and tongues and tribes and nations, the church invisible throughout the entire globe, in heaven and on earth, All the saints past, all the saints future, the church invisible. The whole scope of the bride for whom Christ died, the people for His own possession, the invisible church. Not talking right now about something just geographically local. And we're not talking about any um, particular church or group of churches at this point. Not talking about what is observable visibly. This is the people who are born by the Spirit of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. And to all who are born again, you are a member of the invisible church that Christ has loved and shed His blood for. We don't always know exactly, right? We just don't know the, who is always in the invisible church. I know we always want to make it visible, right? But we don't always know this, but the encouragement is Christ knows them well. Jesus knows every member of the invisible church very well. And if you wanted to lay the old understand this through the lens of the if, through the Old Testament, this is these are those who are circumcised of heart. Not just circumcised of flesh, but circumcised of heart. Their hearts are rend to God. And so, uh, the, the first way to understand this, the, the church, is to understand that Scripture uses this 
in the sense of the whole society of God's elect, the church invisible. He gave Himself for the church. I will build my church. And, and on and on we could go with Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. One of the things that I've been struck by as kind of a side note to this, is that as I've been reading Deuteronomy in my morning Bible reading, and I've been in, and recently read Deuteronomy 7 and 8, and one of the things that's been striking me in Deuteronomy, and I think a really sweet and a fresh way to me and an encouraging way to me, is how much blessing, how much blessing, and in the, in the way God talks about His blessings to His people who are obedient to Him. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you haven't been born again by the Spirit of God, you haven't submitted your life to Christ, to King Jesus, and to His work on the cross on your behalf, in your place, dying the death, you should have died for the penalty of your real sins. Death. Is, I want to encourage you to repent and believe the good news Because this is the first step of obedience to receive the blessing of becoming a part of the invisible church of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where I want every single one of you here. I want you to be a member of the invisible church of Christ. So, the whole body of the faithful, whether in heaven or on earth, who have been or shall be or shall be, Spiritually united to Christ as their Savior is how Bannerman describes the church in visible. Now, we're in Ephesians, so you don't have to turn far. I've been kind of sticking around Ephesians to spend a lot of time understanding the nature of the church, but the second understanding that we come to of the church is that it's not all invisible because guess what? We're here. <laughs> we're here. This is the church, the visible church. The visible church. And so, when you, and you, you really can't read Scripture or make sense of anything about it, what it means to profess to know Jesus Christ apart from understanding there's pretty visible nature to the church. You just can't make sense of anything. You know, if, if, if the church was just invisible, which is... How a lot of people who profess to know Christ like to think that it just should stay invisible. You know how they say it, right? I'm getting ahead of myself, but... Eh. <laughs> so, how do they say it? How do they try to maintain the church invisible and not actually, in turn, the whole, the whole of... What Scripture teaches about people interacting with one another, about elders, etc., about the nature of our obedience to one another, and um, you know, the fact that we gather on a Sunday morning, the fact that we gather you know, for small groups and in our homes and pursue Christ together, how do they, how do, they do it? Because they, they don't say, I'm just against the church visible. That's not what they say. What do they say? They say things like Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. 
you know. That's what they say. They say things like that. Because the nature of the church being visible is just not important to them. And they don't want to have to submit to elders and to any authority. And they are just against institutions, you know. Right, Carl? They're all against institutions. Ask Carl about it. He'll tell you how much he's been against institutions for a long, long time. But loves the church, you know, but loves the church. And I love Carl. Just against institutional religion, you know. I'm for Jesus, but I'm against institutional religion. That's a problem because Jesus is the head of an institution. It's called the church. And it is invisible and it is also visible. So they use the word religion and say, well, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And the nature of that relationship with Jesus has a lot of very visible components to it. And what we're talking about when we're talking about... um, And by the way, can we just stop thinking the word religion is a cuss word? (laughs) You know, when you read the Reformers, we were talking about this with our, our men reading through the Institutes. Calvin has no problem just using the word religion, you know, as a description of, our, of all of our devotion to the one true and living God. Right? The reason we use it today is because we don't want to be committed to any body of believers who are visible. We do not want to have to submit to elders anywhere who are visible. We don't actually want to have to work out the nature of a Christian life with people. We don't. You know? It's just me and Jesus in my closet, and that's good enough. As long, and, and pretty much, and oh boy, but I'm, I'm good with God. I'm just good with God. I, I read my Bible this morning. I feel the presence of the Lord closely, and I don't doubt for a second that you do. But for crying out loud, there's so much that's visible about your obedience to God. Right? So, now, when we talk about the visible church, what we're talking about is the whole body throughout the, um, the world of those that outwardly profess faith in Christ. That's what we're talking about. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, I mean, how do you, you just see this, this is every, this is, it's, it's every page of Scripture. It's, it's like, do I need it? It's almost like, do you even need a text? Everything is visible in lives of churches and Christians together, but what God gave in Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 11. Right? This, this, these are offices given to a visible church where people profess to know Christ and Jesus has given them to the church these gifts and He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. There's visible offices in the visible church. Or many places we could just go to in Scripture, all of them with the implication that there is a visible church that is the whole of the people who profess faith in Christ across the globe. Okay? It's the visible church. Now, This is who gathers on Sunday mornings all all over the world. This is who you drove by 
on the way to church, going to some other, somebody was going to some other church because the church visible of people who profess faith in Christ are visible and about. You know, this is, um, you know, everybody else is sleeping in on Sunday morning. You know. People fill the seats on the Lord's day. They partake of the Lord's table and baptism. All of the things that are uh, the nature of being a part of the church. Visible. Now, here's the great danger, of course, then, if you don't understand how these interact and you just make the church visible and don't have the church invisible, then you have Israel when Jesus comes to judge it. You have external activity only. You don't have Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You just have external activity. And all kinds of pride. You also, you also can take the visible church to the extent where, well, just everybody is a Christian. Everybody's a child of God. You know? They're created, they're visible. Unitarians, for instance. Doesn't matter really what particular faith you hold to, just doesn't matter. God's going to be merciful to it all. And so in that sense, everything, if you take the doctrine of the visible church and you, you lose sight that this is those who profess faith in Christ, that's the visible church. And not some profession of anything else. We're not talking about any. everyone is a child of God. We're not talking about in a Unitarian sense that any faith leads to Jesus. No, that's not what we're talking about. That is not the visible church. The visible church is like what we're doing today. It's those who profess faith in Christ and gather in churches. Now, you can be a part of the visible church professing faith in Christ and not be a part of the invisible church. This would be the thing that I'm most burdened by this morning as I teach this to you. More than anything else I have to say to you is just the fear that you would be a part of the visible church seen, but not a member of the invisible church. Not all Israel is Israel. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God. There's a profession. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. And it's possible to profess to know God, to profess to be a Christian, to profess that I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, and to not be. To not be. Because, and, and one of the evidences to you is, is there any fruit at all of your profession that looks like Christ? Is there any fruit at all that looks like Christ? 
My goal here is not to talk about this and make every person in this room doubt their salvation. That's not the goal. But you have to understand, you you can't think about the visible church and not think about the danger of being a part of the visible church and not a part of the invisible church. The invisible church will be with Jesus forever. The visible church will not in total. So it's very important that you understand that it's not only those who profess a wrong faith not directed at Christ who we're not talking about when we talk about the visible church. We're talking about within the visible church of those who profess faith in Christ, not all are of Christ. Or another way to say it is, you can profess faith in Christ and not possess Christ. You can get baptized and you can partake of the Lord's table and not possess Christ. And I want you to possess Christ. In Scripture, how do you see this? Well, you see it in the, you see it in the parables of the kingdom of heaven. You know, that there's wheat and tares and they're always going to be together. There's wheat and tares. There's sheep and goats in the same pen. In Israel, of course, all who are circumcised of the flesh are not circumcised of the heart. But we must maintain the church visible. We must maintain the worship of God and her ordinances and her authority and her government and all that goes with her. We must maintain she is visible and we gather for God's worship together. And I just want to ask you again, are you born again by God's Spirit? I also want to say this, the visible church is where The visible church, well, I'll just get a little ahead again. The visible church is where all of your discipleship gets worked out. In churches local, which I'll get to in a second. But the visible church, all that we do, you know, we're speaking of all who are professing faith in Christ globally. when we speak of the visible church, and that transfers locally. But this is where all of your obedience to God and all of your discipleship gets worked out. It's in the visible church. One of the things I wrote down in my notes is the evil of bitterness. You know, you don't... No one gets bitter at the invisible church. And, you know, you, you get bitter at the visible church where there's actually all kinds of sin and conflict and difficulty. And I just want to encourage you with this. Then I'll try to prove the point. But I want to encourage you to think about your Christian life 
and especially for those of you who are younger, the most valuable thing that I've ever done is commit myself to the church visible for long periods of time. For long periods of time. And in, a, in our global culture where everybody just kind of moves and bounces around all the time, the same thing can be very true in the visible church, just bouncing around all the time, chasing career move after career move after career move. And, and, and what you miss in the blessing of God's visible church and what God does through the visible church is you miss endless amounts of blessing that further your obedience because of that, that you don't know you're missing. And what happens is you end up with a ceiling to your Christianity because you're never anywhere long enough to have to deal with the kinds of things that come up in a church that require you to change. Just never are. This is what pastors do, right? This is what pastors do. I'm not telling you anything that all the pastors in this country aren't guilty of, which is, you know, they're all, all selfish opportunists. And so what they do is they go pastor a church for five years, you know, the visible church for five years, and then um, things get rocky, honeymoon is over, somebody's upset with them, time to go to the next place. And so they go to pastor four churches over 20 years, and then they say they have 20 years of ministry experience. And I say, no, they don't, they're lying. They have five years of ministry experience four times, and they ran away for the same reason every time. when God had work to do. And they went, I don't want God's work to happen. And this is what we do. I don't want God's work in my heart and life to have to happen. And on we go. And so my encouragement to you is slow and steady obedience in the visible church of Christ for a long, long time. And you can't trade You can't trade anything for time. You just can't. And if you're proud, you think, no, you overcame. You've bounced around wherever and you have moved and you have never, and you just think, no, I'm as mature as I could be. And I think, no, you're not. You just don't know it. You don't know what's going to come up given enough time that's going to force your obedience to God in ways you never knew you needed. You realize, I mean, this is my story here. You know, it's my story because I could have went, you know, I could have ditched it two and a half years because there was a group of ten people who gave more money than our whole church did at the time. Remember the whole story? I could have ditched, you know, And every single person in this church at that time would have known exactly what I was doing. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I I could have come up with some reason. But it was just horrible. It was just horrible when our elders elders in Chicago wanted to close our church down and, you know, they had a place for me with ten people. But they gave more money. Here's, the, here's what my point about that is. I had no idea the fruit of the effect that would come from saying no to them. 
I had no idea what the fruit would be. And I had no idea that what we have in our church, and God help us, we have a long way to go. But I'm just so encouraged by the direction of humility and sweetness and love that we have in our church that I never had before that in any church I was a part of. And I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing. And I'm so glad that I'm here and we've learned a lot of things together because of it. Because I didn't know it was a thing. So, it's kind of overlapping with this third, which is the church local. The church local. Church local, we're, we're a church local. We gather under common oversight by our pastors and elders. We gather together. We live life together in the worship of God. We are a church local. And it seems like maybe there's been some recovery of the value of the church local in, in the last 15 years or so, but... Um, it's funny that we can read our Bibles and have a veil over our eyes and just not see what's just plainly obviously there everywhere. And I was a Christian for four years maybe before I really understood the value of what a local church was. You know, the, the scripture would be like, when you see the phrases like, and the church in her house, or the church in Corinth, or the church in Ephesus, although it's possible there's maybe multiple congregations in those places, but that there's local congregations, and that this is the norm for Christians ever since Jesus left, was to gather in local congregations, the local church, not just a church that exists universally or invisibly or globally. When we're talking invisible and visible, we're primarily talking about global and even beyond global realities. With invisible, it's global and heaven and earth. It's time, past and, pre and future. When we're talking about the church visible, we're talking about all those who profess faith in Christ all over the earth. When we're talking about the church local, we're only talking about a gathering like us. And for 2,000 years, Christians have gathered for the worship of God and organized themselves in local churches. And when we talk about the church universal and we just talk about Christians everywhere, so we can read our Bible and, and, and kind of lose sight of how obvious it is that most of our obedience actually takes place in a local church. You know... Scripture becomes gobbledygook if you don't have obedience and life together in a local church. It just doesn't mean anything anymore. For instance, if there is no local church, who does a pastor pastor? Who do elders elder? 
who do Christians submit to? When the scripture says to love one another, who's it talking about? Where do you do that? So all of, I mean, just your Christian obedience takes place in the church local. And it took me years to understand this until a dear brother taught a Sunday school class on it. And I'm just, I'm just like, why, why is this? <laughs> kind of like, I want to say duh, because that's what my kids say to me now. <laughs> duh. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are a church, local church of Jesus Christ in Bloomington. And, and for the longest time, it took me a while to get this. And so I was so messed up about this. You know how when you say words that as soon as they leave your mouth, you hope you can catch them and put them back in before they hit the person's ear? I do that sometimes. And the other thing that I do sometimes is I realize that sometimes the words that I've said, kind of years later, I realized how bad they were. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to stuff them back in the moment, at the moment. It was right. And it was the best thing that could have been said. And put a few years on that and you go, I wish I could go back in time and put those words back in my mouth. And it's really, really amazing. But I was baptized in uh, the Smoky Mountains, 2002, maybe, over spring break. And I was on a spring break trip with kind of a campus church. And it was pretty much all exclusively students, and I was on the spring break trip. And uh, there's a whole story to that that I won't get into. But I hadn't been baptized yet. I'd been a Christian for three years, two and a half, three years. I can't remember. Exactly. Probably three years, three and a half maybe. And so they would do baptisms on this spring break trip in this, you know, 50 degree water. It's the first week of March in the Smoky Mountains. Just so cold. And so I decided to get baptized. And <laughs> the pastor, I don't know what he thought about this, but it probably was less concerning to him thinking back on it. But I was going to baptize and he's, he's like, well, do you want to say any words to everybody? as you get baptized. I was like, well, I need to get baptized, but I always wanted to get baptized into the church and not to a church. You know, it's like, well, how does that happen? How does that happen? So, at my baptism, I had no idea of the value of the local church. And that the way these things work out when we talk about things like the universal church is they actually take place in a local church. And there's some sense in which, which it's true. When we talk about the universal church, 
that it doesn't really exist apart from there being local churches. It's not just a thing out there that doesn't actually happen in places. And so even at my baptism, I didn't understand the value of the local church. And so it was maybe a couple years after that that we walked into a Sunday school where a pastor just walked us through in the Sunday school the importance and value that Scripture, that God places on the church local for all of our Christian obedience and growth. So, just one passage that I just want to read to you real quick. Colossians chapter 4 is one example. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. This church, local. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. There's another church. Have this letter read there also. The church local. You know, and I just want to ask you, do you are you in a church local, joined to it, submitting to its leaders and elders to help your soul? And I would encourage you, I would encourage you if you've been here a bit to pursue membership in the church, like a church local like us. To pursue membership in the church, to commit yourself to the church's Love and care and discipline. Really. Love and care and discipline. You know, one of the things that... (laughs) I'm not teaching you anything that I didn't have to learn, usually through some hard lesson. Really. And I remember when I was um, first thinking about what in the world is the local church, what is church membership, what is church discipline. And do do you know what finally for me, I think this was actually a good thing. But what finally just convinced me of the value of church membership and of giving myself to the church's love and care and discipline, it was church discipline and even excommunication. And the reason that I committed myself for the first time to be a member of a local church was because if I didn't, I could go off the rails and no one would come get me. It was a fear of myself. And maybe for you, trusting in yourself is way too significant of a reality and the thing that you need to do to commit yourself to the church's love and care and discipline is trust in yourself a whole lot less and actually be a little afraid of yourself. If you start walking down a bad path, of rebellion against God. And how easy is that for any of us to do? That was the thing that did it. It was just going, I need somebody to go after me. I need somebody to care. I need, if I go down a road of shame, I need it to go public with the church. I need that kind of discipline. That was actually what did it. That was what did it. And I would commend that to you also.
Well, we are just going to stop there. There are two others, and I'll just mention them. I'm going to stop there. Just going to stop. Just going to stop. Tell yourself no, Josh. The church of Jesus Christ is so glorious. And I want just to say, are you a member of the invisible church of Jesus Christ, having clung to him, his cross as your only hope of salvation? Have you clung to him? There is no salvation in any other way. No one else is right with God thinking any other thing than just clinging to Jesus Christ and his cross. Nothing. There's nothing else. No other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is it. And I want you to be a member of the invisible church. And maybe your Christian or maybe your Christianity has kind of been with Christians somewhere. You know? Somewhere. But what about in the church visible and then the church local? The gathering of Christians for fellowship and worship, for love and care and discipline. I want to say that's hard a lot of the time. But it will press you into Christ and us together into Christ and into obedience that we did not know we needed. And into humility that we did not know we needed if we cling to Christ together. And I just want you to love the church. To just love the church. And I want you to risk humbling yourself before the church of Jesus Christ with faith and trust that it will bless you. I want you to risk humbling yourself before the church, the local church of Jesus Christ, and trust that it will bless you. And do it because you trust God. Because you have faith in what Scripture teaches. And that you will be blessed by it. Stand with me for prayer, would you? praise you for the doxology our Father in heaven. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. Now to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. Amen.